Tax Resolution Ninja Show, where we feature the top experts on all things tax to help you understand, navigate, and resolve all your tax-related issues. Now, let's get started with the show. Hi, I'm Alan Rolnick, the host of the Tax Resolution Ninja Show, where we feature guests and talk about the issues from all walks of life, from taxes to health to economics, personal finance, sales and marketing, employment, and many more. Please listen to our past episodes who included Robert Hernandez and Adrian Miller. This episode is brought to you by Alan Rolnick, the Tax Resolution Ninja and Tri-State Tax Resolution. Do you owe the IRS money or have not filed the tax return for more than two years? The IRS is looking for you. They're looking for you so much that they're willing to throw you a party. And this party is not to celebrate your birthday, anniversary, engagement, or wedding. The party is being made to levy your wages up to 90%, take your social security check up to 85%, seize your bank account and other assets, and revoke your passport. To stop this party in its tracks, you need to call the Tax Resolution Ninja Hotline at 718-841-7317. The Tax Resolution Ninja runs a tax emergency room that helps people and businesses permanently resolve their tax problems. The Tax Resolution Ninja will do the heavy lifting for you, and you will never have to speak to an IRS agent. If you owe the IRS money, give Alan Rolnick, the Tax Resolution Ninja, a call. I will resolve your tax problem permanently, and you will not have to go to any party that the IRS is throwing for you. To stop the party, call the Tax Resolution Ninja at 718-841-7317. I have as my guest today, Simon Brady. Simon is the founder and principal of Anglia Advisors, and he helps with personal, he's a personal financial consultant and investment manager. Simon is also a certified tax planner. Simon, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, out of your busy schedule, to uh, let me interview you. Thank you. I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. So let me let's start off and ask, let me ask you, how, how did you decide as a financial planning as a career? Um, just, to, just to straighten one thing, I, I, the, the last thing I am is a certified tax planner. I, I steer away from taxes. Uh, I leave it to the people like you. It's, the designation is certified financial planner. Um, and uh, I... As you may have picked up on the accent, I came over from the UK in the uh, very late 1980s for a Wall Street um, institutional career. Um, so I was on Wall Street from, uh, you know, throughout the 90s and right up to 2008 when the whole business model down there kind of blew up. Uh, and I decided at that point that I was going to transition over into personal financial planning. Um, dealing with individuals, couples, families, uh, with their personal finances, rather than the institutional trading of uh, Wall Street that I've been involved in for the prior uh, 20 years or so. Um, so I got the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, which took a long time. Uh, and I actually went to go work at the UN for a year uh, as a financial advisor there, primarily dealing with UN staff. Um, and then 2016, I decided I was going to do this on my own. Um, I um, 
set up a registered investment advisory firm, Anglia Advisors, as you mentioned. Uh, and since then, I've been working with uh, individuals, couples and families on their personal finance um, on a fee-only basis. So I don't take any commissions. I don't promote products. I don't sell products. Uh, it's pure project work um, that is billed for on a fee-only fee basis. Do you, uh, do you uh, since you don't actually sell the products themselves, uh, do you advise them where, where they should uh, go for those services? Yes. Yeah, so um, if, you know, an example is, um, you know, life insurance. Uh, I don't have a life insurance license. I very deliberately don't sell life insurance because it's a conflict of interest. Obviously, if I do, if I sold life insurance, I'd tell you you needed it and would sell it to you. But if I do see a life insurance need with a client, uh, I will bring in an independent broker who's not affiliated with any of the carriers, um, who's pretty much carrier agnostic, and will sit down and work with uh, and work with the client um, that way. And the same for taxes, for instance. I don't do taxes. I don't even do my own taxes. I'm certainly not doing my clients. Um, so uh, if there is a, a tax issue. Uh, I will bring in a third party. Same with estate planning. I'm not a lawyer. I can't write a will, but I can talk to clients for a long time about why they need one. And when the time comes to get it done, I have a, a network of people like this who I bring in um, to complete the thing. So there's, there's, a, there's an element of a role of being a quarterback here and bringing, uh, bringing professionals in when needed. So we, we both help help people who are having financial problems. Uh, I help save them money if they owe the IRS back taxes. You help save them money in other ways. What are some examples? So I tend to focus on uh, clients who are uh, 40 years old and younger. Um, and that particular demographic uh, has a lot of life events that start happening to them, you know, from the moment they leave college. Um, their first job, they're asked to contribute to a uh, 401k in their first day in their first job. They have to fill out a form that says that. They may not even know what a 401k is. Um, things happen to this group. They move, in, move out from home. They meet someone. They get engaged. They get married. They buy apartments. They have kids. They get divorced. They move on to second careers. They get fired. All these things go on. Um, at a very, very intense pace, I'd say, with age between 22 and 40. Um, so my role there in terms of um, uh, saving them money and, and, and in helping them in wealth creation is to make use of their most valuable asset, which is time. If you can get a 23, 24, 25-year-old to start putting money into IRAs, to start making meaningful contributions to 401ks, to be smart about uh, how they handle their um, debt. You know, this, this generation obviously has a lot of student loan debt. Um, from an early age, it's so much better than if they suddenly, at the age of 45 or 50, decide they need to do something about their financial planning, because by then it's just, just way too late. Do you, so do, I help them that way. Uh, do you find that uh, the uh, people under the under 40, are they saving more? Are they saving less than, than, than their, than their uh, elders? 
Um, it's 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 a mixed bag, Alan. Um, you know, you you do get people in that generation who are tend tend to spend quite a lot of money, especially when things happen to them, like they want to buy a house, but they want to buy it too early. They're not ready to buy a house, but they plow ahead anyway, and they raid their savings and their investments to get a down payment for a house. Uh, they start having children and, you know, the expenses involved in that. Um, it's a bit self-selecting, to be honest, because if a 30-year-old is coming to a financial planner, generally that person will at least be self-aware enough to know that they should be doing something um, should be doing something about their savings. So I would say the majority of people who, who end up in front of me um, are at least motivated to, to do something, uh, something significant about their savings. Otherwise, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be contacting a financial planner in the first place. All right. So, so how, how, do you, how do you help some, uh, a younger person who, who just started a new job uh, and their company doesn't, doesn't uh, provide them with any, any 401k or anything like that? So in, in that circumstance, uh, I'm going to sit down and talk to them, first of all, about the, you know, if we're dealing with a relatively young person, there's a job to do first, which is essentially getting across to them um, that the, mean, the, the importance of retirement planning, even at this young age, um, and that, you know, what they do in their 20s has far more impact on, the, on their uh, retirement than what they do in their 50s. Um, but uh, once that is done, we, we then explore the options that, um, that are available to people without uh, 401k. So an obvious one is, is if they don't have access to a 401k, as you the tax guy know, um, you know they, regardless of their income, they can uh, get the tax deduction on a traditional IRA. But again, that's only, that's only $6,000 a year. Um, what I try and do with them is to get them set up uh, with an automated online savings plan, whereby um, if they're paid on the 1st and 15th of each month, then on the 2nd and 16th, uh, money is automatically moved into savings accounts, investment accounts. Um, I need them to build an emergency fund. Uh, we think we've all seen in the last year how important that is. Um, and uh, so the lack of a 401k is, is an impediment because obviously um, it, it, it's, a, it's a very useful tool. But to be honest, if you're dealing with somebody who's literally in their first job, they're probably not going to be putting away a lot more than $6,000 a year anyway. And even if they do, we will just set up some taxable brokerage accounts and get them invested in there. Okay. Now, now we have a talk about a, a, a different situation. Where the the uh, the pension is is available, you know, the four hundred one k and other things are available to them, but they don't take advantage of it. So that's uh, that's where I can get a little uh, that's where I get a little uh, insistent with them. Um, obviously, if there's a four hundred one k match, um, leaving that money on the table is 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 foolish. Uh, it's essentially the same as a hundred percent guaranteed rate of return. Um, so the absolute minimum I would uh, pretty much insist on with anybody who's got a 401k where the company does match is to, is to uh, save up to that match. Um, but then once you've hit the match, uh, I then look at 
the 401k itself. And let's take a look and see whether the available investment options are good or as in a lot of cases, excuse my language, crap. Um, they can be they can be expensive. They can be actively managed. If they've got a a poor quality 401k, I would recommend investing up to the max and then for their next set of investments, turn to the IRA. And then when they've maxed out on the 6,000 of the IRA, then come back to this poor quality 401k. If it's a good 401k with something like a Vanguard target date fund or some index funds in there, uh, then I would um, you know, encourage them to obviously start putting money away into that 401k and try and increase it on a sort of regular basis annually and certainly in line with any kind of pay raises they get. Okay, so now you, now you have another situation. A uh, couple got married, I don't know, married, maybe say, maybe, maybe they're married five years and they're looking to buy a, a, a co-op or a, or a condo or a, or a house. Or a house. How, how would you advise them? So we take a long look at their finances. Um, you know, generally speaking, the way the way lending works is that uh, they're going to need to come up with 20% uh, of the purchase price. Um, you know, there are options for less than that, but uh, generally speaking, to avoid the mortgage insurance and stuff like that, you need at least 20%. So one of the first things we'll do is look at that 20% number and say, where are you going to get that from? Let's look at your finances. How much have you got saved? How much money do you have access to? And what will your life look like? Uh, you know, if you take a, you know, we're in, we're both in New York, right? So we can talk about million dollar apartments without, without, yeah, without batting an eyelash, without batting an eyelid. Exactly. So if you've got the million dollar apartment, where are you getting the 200,000 plus the 10, 15, 20,000 closing costs? Where are you going to get? get that from and how much damage would that do to your finances if you're going to have to raid your 401k to get that money I, I, you're premature on this you're not ready to buy a place um, but let's assume that uh, you know we can we can um, deal with that then we're going to look at you know based off where mortgage rates are what the mortgage monthly mortgage payment is going to be including um, property taxes which again, in New York is, is highly significant, depending where you live, um, and homeowners insurance. And what does that monthly outgoing uh, mean to you? What kind of damage would that do to your cash flow? So we'll go through all these questions. Um, and I do find in more cases than not, these people are not ready to do this. They are damaging their long-term um, future by trying to buy too early uh not not every time obviously but uh, i think people do underestimate the uh expenses and cost of ownership particularly in new york city i mean it's a different conversation if we're in south dakota um but i think they underestimate that and i so the first thing i'm doing really is sitting down and giving them a a, a reality check on what this purchase is really going to look like for them financially would you suggest maybe that they look for something that's not necessarily in New York City, that's that's in in Jersey or 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 uh, even Westchester? Uh, well, Westchester is kind of expensive also, but uh, rather than wait, uh, spending money on rent because because what well, on rent you're sort of like throwing it down the sewer, 
the money down the sewer. I'd, I'd, I'd push back on that a little bit. Um, what, what you earn, what you get by paying rent is you, know, you don't have the need to fix the roof if that roof falls in. If your roof falls in, you just call the landlord. Yeah. Uh, if the, you are not responsible for the homeowner's insurance, you're not responsible for the property taxes, um, which you know, is obviously a big concern right now, given the situation we're in. And in places like Jersey, Nassau County, Westchester, property taxes can be you know, very, very high. So I, I would push back that rent is throwing money away. You're actually buying uh, the, the ability to, you're buying liquidity with, with rent effectively. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I take the point that, um, you know, as we just mentioned, a million dollars gets you what in New York City? Gets you, you know, maybe a- Maybe a one bedroom apartment. A one bedroom in, in on the Upper East Side. I mean, you know, I'm, I might, might be slightly exaggerating, but yeah. obviously, if you're if you're going to leave the city, you're going to get more for your money than than you are um, in the city. But the payoff, though the uh, the the difficulty that you're going to run into there again is property taxes in in many of these places. Um, but yeah, so I I I, I think. I think renting is a perfectly valid strategy until you're ready to buy home. You know, real estate is not the greatest investment historically at all. Um, and I think, uh, I think people are far too keen to dive into that uh, prematurely, as I mentioned. Okay. I mean, that's an that's a interesting point of view. My, my, my feeling is that if you, all right, so you can't afford the $1 million apartment in, in the upper in the upper east or west west side going to the outer boroughs you can get a decent a decent maybe maybe one bedroom for i don't know half a million six hundred thousand yeah that's that's definitely true in, in parts of queens and brooklyn particularly uh there are still pockets of area areas that uh you can get uh you know what you're what you're describing but even a six hundred thousand dollar um apartment or home you still got to find $120,000 out of somewhere right, to put right. to, or 130 including closing costs and stuff to put down and that's that's more the the issue that I think people tend to overlook and then the you know the cost of the cost of maintenance of these places um you know I think repairs and upkeep um landscaping if you have it i mean it just it's just it's just a very very expensive thing it's not yeah. i don't i try to discourage clients from thinking of a home as an investment um because an investment pays you to own it uh with dividends and stuff but a home does not pay you to own it it costs you a fortune to own it on ongoing costs so you know i really encourage them to think about this as a place to live uh, a home is not a, a substitute for a retirement plan. Um, and uh, some people still confuse the two. So let's say now you have a couple who, who uh, a young couple, they've been married, I don't know, 10 years. And, and they, all of a sudden, you know, the marriage is not working. They decide to get a divorce. What, what do you, uh, how, do, how do you have, how do you help them split the, uh, split the assets? 
So it's interesting. There are actually kind of rules about this with financial planners. There's a designation out there called a CDFA, a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, um, which I actually did take, but I let lapse. Um, that person's job is to work with a client during the divorce process. Um, so a CDFA will work with a client in terms of uh, valuing pension plans that what the spouse may have, trying to do some form of sort of forensic accounting about whether what the, the, the financial statement that's come in from the spouse is actually accurate and lines up with the truth. Going back over tax returns, um, looking for discrepancies, working with the divorce attorney to figure out whether um, you know parts of the financial picture are comparable. For instance, you know five hundred thousand dollars of a four hundred one k is not the same as five hundred thousand dollars in a in a checking account. Um, you know the government owns a good portion of that four hundred one k. So you work with them, and then once the divorce is uh, granted. Um, then the CDFA can um, then take his CDFA hat off and become a CFP. Uh, I don't do that. Uh, I work with, and in terms of divorce, I'm very happy and I do work with a number of clients who've just got divorced. So what I do is I will look at the, um, I will look at the divorce decree and usually everything's in motion, right? There's a real estate event, at least one real estate event, maybe two or three real estate. There's a sale, there's a purchase. Um, things have to be changed. Uh, the will has to be changed immediately if there was a will in the first place. Uh, life insurance policies need to be reviewed. Uh, college funding, if there's kids involved, that needs to be looked at. Um, maybe the divorce decree determined that one spouse is responsible for the college education and the other one is not. So let's look at that. Uh, and of course, you know, very often there's a sudden influx of money into an account uh, that needs to be put to work right away. And very often one member of the household used to, uh, used to deal with the finances when the when household was together and the other one doesn't. So if you're, if, if I'm working with the the member of the household who didn't really deal with the finances up to that point, you can have a situation where somebody's 40 years old and just has no idea how to handle money. And suddenly there's a million dollars goes into her, their checking account. They have no idea what to do. They're overwhelmed. And of course, this is at a time when, you know, very often their focus is not good. Uh, they can be emotional. Uh, they can make rash decisions. Um, and you will know better than anybody how you know their tax situation has changed. Um, so there's so much going on, and people just get overwhelmed. And at that point, I like to uh, become a, a resource for them. But I don't act for clients during the divorce process. Okay. So uh, on another on another uh, another point, uh, somebody gets an inheritance, uh, or a young person gets gets an inheritance. All of a sudden. They, they come into some, you know, some big dollars. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I think, I think you find that a lot, you know, where, where mom and dad are, you know, where we're basically taking care of them, uh, making sure everything was, you know, that they had enough money and, you know, and they, they got a job that, uh, that they're, they've been working. Uh, but all, all of a sudden they come into this big money uh, and they're not prepared for it. That's, 
that's an absolutely crucial time to work with a, a, a financial planner, and particularly in that case, a fee-only planner who's not going to seek commissions, who's not going to put you into investments that essentially pay the advisor rather than work for you. Um, so in that case, we need to look at the person's financial picture. If you have a scenario where somebody receives you know, $250,000 uh, due to the death of a, a grandparent or a parent, um, uh, let's look at what to do with that. Sometimes the temptation would be to pay off, say they had $50,000 in student loans um, and $10,000 in credit card debt. Um, the temptation might be, oh, I'm going to pay off my student loans with this amount. Well, let's stop a minute. Your student loans are probably 5 6%. Your credit card debt is probably 23, 25%. Um, you know, clearly there is a priority for uh, paying down high cost debt before paying down lower cost debt. Um, maybe that money can be put if you've got if you've got loans that are in the three, four percent area, which is the case with many mortgages, obviously, and even some old student loans. Um, don't, don't, don't pay those off. I mean, let's, let's just keep paying the minimum on those uh, and get this windfall money invested in a way that if, you know, if we're talking about a 25-year-old, let's get it invested and have it work for you for 40 years um, uh, and get your retirement, you know, almost taken care of. Um, if this happens to somebody who has, you know, young children, let's, put some money into a 529 and get college sorted out. So just a smart use of this money rather than, um, you know, obviously blowing it by spending it or um, abuse, applying it to areas of their life that is, it, it, you know, may not be optimal. One, one last question. Yeah. Uh, this had nothing to do with, 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 with what you do. What do you do when you're not doing this? What do I do when I'm not doing this? Um, well, as you, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm originally from England. That means I'm a uh, soccer nutcase. Um, I do, or I did referee soccer locally here on Long Island. Um, I'm very familiar with the rules and everything else. So I did used to run around in those referee uniforms, waving cards and <laughs> getting yelled at by parents and coaches and all that sort of stuff. Um, I actually enjoyed that. I've uh, sort of retired from that now, um, but I do, um, I do uh, enjoy the sport uh, and try and get involved with it whenever I can, whether it's even watching it or I don't participate anymore. Those days are gone. Um, <laughs> And uh, otherwise, you know, I'm the same as everybody else. Obviously, my uh, sort of social life has been impacted by the uh, impacted by the pandemic. I used to have an office in um, in Manhattan. Uh, I worked out of a WeWork uh, facility near Penn Station. Um, I've let that go. I'm now working from home. So, um, unfortunately, I don't get out as much as I should. But uh, you know. Uh, Hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel and we'll get back to, uh, we'll get back to that yeah. reasonably soon. I, I think it's going to be a while before we're uh, back to some, something but, but, but that, that's normal. Uh, I agree. Just, uh, I agree. It just doesn't seem to be going away so fast, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. 
thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule and uh, enlightening my uh, myself because there was stuff here that I that I I was not aware of and enlightening my audience. Uh, again, thank you. And uh, please listen to this episode and past episodes of the Tax Resolution Ninja Show. Take care and have Thanks. a great week. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Tax Resolution Ninja Show. Be sure to click subscribe to get updates on our latest episodes.